0: Hey, Jay, I'm surprised Spider-Man doesn't cross over with more X-teams. They've got so much in common. How so, Miles? Primary colors, alliterative names... That's basically just superheroes. Put upon teenagers struggling to navigate life with powers they never asked for, vilified by hostile news agencies. Okay. Yeah, I'm starting to see it. They have things in common. They should team up.
1: They do team up. Sometimes... There have been multiple mini-series, and Spider-Man taught at the Jean Grey School for a while. Whoa, how'd that go? Pretty well.
0: They fought Sauron. That sounds educational. It was. But my point is, Spider-Man and the X-Men should be friends. Like, I don't know, Daredevil and Iron Fist. They should have frequent casual crossovers, not just miniseries and events. Oh,
1: like in the Ultimate Universe. Really? Yeah, totally. Spider-Man and the X-Men cross over all the time there. Heck, Spidey and Shadowcat even dated for a while. That...
0: Actually, that worked surprisingly well.
1: I know, right? Oh, and once Spider-Man and Wolverine switched bodies.
0: Supervillain thing? Jean Grey. Why'd she switch Wolverine and Spidey's bodies?
1: Oh, uh, Wolverine wouldn't stop hitting on her. What?! Jay Editin. And I'm Miles
0: Stokes. And we are here to explain the X Men. Because it's about time someone did.
1: Welcome to episode 242 of Jay and Miles Explain the X Men, where we walk you through the ins, the outs, and the retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera.
0: And welcome back to us from Seattle, because we actually just got back about a week ago. And uh, I'm mostly recovered. How about you, Jay? I am super sick. Yay! Good oh, times. Man. You got the con crud. I'm I'm grateful I dodged it. I'm sorry you didn't.
1: Yeah. Uh. So am I. Um. Trying to think of what else is going on here. I saw Hades Town. Um. Two nights ago though, which was really really amazing. Um. It turned out actually I didn't realize that we had tickets. I I knew we had tickets for early in the run, but I didn't realize it was for t- actually, actually its second night.
0: Oh man, Hades Town. You've told me about that. That's that play, right? I mean the one with like the wall and the the devil and stuff.
1: I mean kind of it's it's a retelling of orpheus and eurydice set in the depression era dust bowl it's by Anais mitchell it's phenomenally good it just opened on broadway it's very very worth seeing if you can um t my wife saw it when it was still in workshop and a couple of the cast members have carried over from that unfortunately uh, actually the, the ones i was most hoping to see patrick page and amber gray who play Hades and persephone And it's just it's just phenomenally good. It's amazing. Um, If you haven't heard it, there's there's a cast album that's out. There's also a concept album, which is sort of what's what it started as, because Mitchell is a singer songwriter. And um, yeah, it's on Broadway now. and It's really good.
0: Oh, that, that does sound phenomenal. You'd think I would have remembered the Orpheus part since that's the name of the role playing game I run. But I don't know. Maybe I was tired when you told me about it. But what I didn't see but played was a game that um, I think you might have heard of, Jay, and I I suspect many of our listeners have, uh, Night in the Woods. I finished it last night, and it is one of the funniest games I've ever played. It is also one of the most emotionally affecting games I have ever played ever played. It's about a 20 year old girl who drops out of college and goes back to her fading Rust Belt town. And also everyone is uh, colorful, cute animal cartoons. And it's one of the most real human experiences I've ever played through. And I don't want to say anything more about it because the discovery is part of the, the joy of it. But if you're looking to um, have some feels and not pay a whole lot for a video game, I recommend that one highly.
1: Uh, Sounds good. Now, you may wonder why we are yammering on and on about what we've been doing for fun, other than that we just got back from Emerald City Comic Con and are catching up. And the reason for that is that we don't don't have a ton of story to cover today.
0: It's true. So today we're going to be covering the Spider-Man X-Factor Shadow Games miniseries. It was a three-issue miniseries from, I believe, 1993, where we are right now in our coverage—
1: The most remarkable thing about Shadow Games, I think, the thing that really makes it stand out, is that it is a relative rarity in comics, and especially in comics of this era. It's something that we've encountered very, very few times, and and it feels worth remarking on for that, and that is that it is a bad Kurt Busick comic.
0: I mean, I don't know if I would say bad so much as mediocre and forgettable, but it's no marvels, that's for sure. I mean,
1: you're talking to very, very wide ends of the spectrum, but um, yeah. So Kurt Pusick is a phenomenal comics writer. He's also just a, a really a great guy. You can hear him on the show um, way back talking about the Phoenix retcon. But this is this is not this is this series is, is 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 as Miles said, just kind of intensely forgettable. It's three issues long. We're we're gonna try to try to squeeze what substance out of it we can. It also feels like something that was set up to create story hooks that just no one ever.
0: I grabbed later. Well, I have things to say about it. I have so many things to say about it. But uh, first, perhaps we should set the stage with what X-Factor and Spider-Man have been up to up until this point.
1: Well, X-Factor we checked in with pretty recently. We've been covering them regularly. They are the U.S. government's very own team of mutants, led by Alex Summers, Havoc, with the power of plasma
0: blasts. And by his side is Lorna Dane Polaris, with the power of the miracle of magnetism. Also, Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, with the power of wolf stuff. Guido Carasella, strong guy, turns impact into muscle, and also has these really sweet goggles that I always wanted to find a version of that I could wear, but I think they'd probably be pretty uncomfortable.
1: Jamie Madrox, multiple man, turns impact
0: into additional men. Pietro Maximoff, Quicksilver, has the power of having just left the team during the Blood Ties crossover, so he's not around. The team also has a
1: new government liaison, that is former X-Man Forge, who has replaced Valerie Cooper in the
0: role. And boy, does the government with which Forge liaises have a mission for X-Factor. I mean, yes, they do. Kinda. So so what's up with
1: the, the, the dude with the, the full face mask? He, he seems like he's probably a threat or
0: possibly a menace of some sort? Oh, yeah, Spider-Man. Well, he does whatever a spider can. And, you know, now that I say that, that's actually a pretty wide range of skills and abilities. You want to try to narrow it down a little bit there? Uh, sure. Okay, so, uh, does he create webs of some sort? Yes, but
1: that's not actually part of his superpower set. He makes them in a lab and preloads them into web shooters, which are on his wrists, not his butt.
0: Does he have terrifying compound eyes and little like mandible claw things on his face?
1: If he does, they're not part of his body. Um No, he doesn't. He, does. he has he has the normal set of, of human eyes and the normal set of human mandibles. He He, I believe, has somewhat sharper vision than the, than the standard human.
0: Like Warren Worthington, who's a hawk. Um, okay, but back to Spider-Man, does he swing?
1: That's an incredibly personal question, and I think that's really between him and Mary Jane Watson Parker.
0: Mm, valid, valid. Well, anyway, Spider-Man and X-Factor, Shadow Games. Um, it actually came out after some pretty big shit had gone down in X-Factor. Uh, if you have read ahead in X-Factor from where the show is, you'll know that the cast of the book right now is not what the cast will be in a number of issues. It also came out right before Kurt Busiek's popularity and critical acclaim exploded with the phenomenal miniseries Marvels.
1: Yeah, the, the just before is kind of critical, because I feel like it would have been kind of embarrassing if it had come out afterwards.
0: There is that. But without any further ado, let us dive into Shadow Games number one, titled Shadow Games.
1: How about that? Now this is written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by Pat Broderick, inked by Bruce Patterson, and colored by Tom Smith.
0: And we open with Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, visiting his too-cool high school rival, Flash Thompson. Flash is working with a boys' club and has called Peter in to talk about what it's like to be a reporter.
1: When, unfortunately, his presentation is interrupted by folks in green spandex with chest harnesses that look like they're for kinky laser tag and visors that look like they belong to Lego spacemen show up looking for a good time. Or for Spider-Man.
0: One of those. These guys are... Shadow Force. Man, their name even sounds like one of those lines of Lego spacemen. I used to love those Lego spacemen. My favorite was Magnetron. They were, like, black and neon green, and they had little magnets that let you hook different parts of their ships together.
1: I only had the, like, regular astronaut ones, but I thought they were very cool, and I used to build uh, zero-gravity training facilities for them in the bathtub.
0: Nice, nice. Well... Peter, who is in his civilian identity here, makes his usual excuses about needing to photograph what's going on, changes into his Spider-Man outfit, and goes to rumble with Shadow Force. And during this fight, we get dialogue introducing the members of Shadow Force, and I am in love with their stupid, stupid names. It, I, I feel like it's almost like a word association game. Flight powers. Oh, I don't know. Airborne. Like, okay, let's just go down the list of these glorious people. All right. First of all, we've got hard time. He's the leader of Shadow Force, and his power is that he can create this hardened air, but really it just looks like jello jigglers, like yellow jello jigglers. Do you remember those things, Jay? Vaguely. So it was like these thin layers of jello, and then there'd be sort of like a jello skin or crust on one side that sounds gross, but they were actually incredibly tasty. And so every time I see Hard Time using his powers against Spider Man or X Factor in this miniseries, I just get kind of hungry, you know? Airborne. Airborne flies, hence her name, and also she probably won't actually prevent you from getting a cold. That's sort of an urban legend. Oversize. He's big, and I guess he costs extra to check if you try to take him on a plane. Firefight. He has these giant goddamn guns that I'm pretty sure he just got from the incarnation of the decade of the 90s itself. Ambush. Ambush is basically just Feral from X-Force. Also, I guess she am Bush. Like, with leaves. No, don't push it, man. Okay, it's a reach. Anyway, that Shadow Force, they're the most generically 90s villains ever, and I have to really respect them for it. Like, they have a brand, and they are 100% dedicated to that brand.
1: I guess. Uh, Speaking of characters who are very dedicated to their their brands, um, Flash is Spider-Man's biggest fan, and he prioritizes that above everything else, including his responsibility as a volunteer at the Boys Club, so he decides that that what he's going to do, would be a fun, safe group group activity, would be taking the kids out to watch Spider-Man fight bad guys. Did he learn his childcare skills from
0: Scott and Gene's X-Factor days? These kids yes. do not have telekinetic force bubbles. Are you sure? Well, I guess it never comes up. Uh, maybe they do. Maybe
1: we just don't know. I mean, look, you can reasonably assume that they survived Inferno in New
0: York. Yeah, true, true, so that's worth something. Well, Spider-Man draws the fight away from these kids, thinking about how he's so mad at Flash Thompson and he could just kill that guy.
1: Unfortunately, there is a final member of the baddies we didn't mention, and that is Mirror Shade. Sorry, I, I just can't make it sound menacing enough.
0: Mirror Shade. No, I don't know.
1: no, it just, it just, it
0: doesn't work. But I love it. It's the most 90s name ever. Mirror Shade? Like, Mirror Shades? He's popped out of the entire genre of cyberpunk fully formed.
1: Kind of. I mean, because his, his deal is that he turns into whoever he's fighting to the point of being able to pick up some of their thoughts. In it, in this case, a little bit of, uh, kill that Flash Thompson.
0: So, yep, that's going to be the plot, roughly, of Shadow Games, which is that Spider Man fights a mirrory looking dude who takes Spider Man's momentary irritation with Flash Thompson and turns it into a blood vendetta. And at this point, Spider Man gets to feel guilty about being mad justifiedly at a jerk and gets to get punched a whole lot trying to save that jerk.
1: Man, so I know he can't because he's a superhero. And I know in general that this is kind of I'm I'm describing the major superhero dilemma, but man, if Spider-Man just like let Flash Thompson die, how much simpler would his life have been?
0: I'm going to go ahead and say significantly.
1: Or maybe not even like let him die,
0: maybe just 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 got him put in protective custody or something. Just, you know, gave him time out for like a few decades.
1: Got him some, you know, some padded clothes. Flash already plays football. He's close. He could just, he could just keep the helmet on, BD style.
0: <laughs> I like this plan. This would be a better comic. Marvel, you should let us have written Spider-Man for many decades.
1: When we were eleven.
0: When we were eleven, yes. So anyway, Mirrorshade actually looks kind of cool. I do want to give some props to the artist of this book, Pat Broderick. Like, the designs are incredibly 90s, but they're the 90s done well. The costumes have a little bit more detail than you tend to see, a little bit more texture. And Mirror Shade's got a cool design. He looks a little bit like Ultron in that he is a silver person, but he has these antennae uh, on either side of his head, and one points up and one points down, and it actually makes him look a little unpredictable and unsettling, and I appreciate that.
1: I cannot quite give the artist the same benefit of the doubt, mostly because of the creepily tiny hands. I mean, at least they have feet. They're uh, tiny. No, they're like raccoon hands.
0: No, those are creepy. Like with the candy floss. Th- that's yes. sad. That video.
1: Oh no, that is sad. But but no, like actual like raccoon hands. Like they're just they're they're little, they're little little creepy hands.
0: Well, the bad guys with their creepy raccoon hands win.
1: Okay, it's not just the baddies though. Everyone has creepy raccoon hands in this.
0: Hmm, maybe it's like Earth 616.0001. It's exactly the same, except raccoon hands. Anyway, Shadow Force captures Spider-Man, and they fly away on a raft of yellow jello jigglers, presumably licking it the whole time. Ew. Yeah, that's true. People's feet are on those. I I don't think they should do that.
1: So, if you're Flash Thompson and you see your hero Spider-Man kidnapped by a bunch of random baddies, what do you do? Oh, and you've documented it with a, a camera you stole from one of your
0: youthful charges. Well, first you call the cops, and then when they don't believe you, you bring your film to the Daily Bugle, you know, the newspaper that Peter Parker works for. And when they're like, hey, you sound a little unreliable, we're going to have to develop this film and look at it because it's the 90s and that's how film works. Then you go through the Rolodex, you go through the phone book, and you figure, okay, I guess I'll try X Factor.
1: Okay, first of all, I know for a fact that there were one-hour
0: film places in 1993-1992. But still, there's not time to wait an hour, because Spider-Man just got kidnapped by Shadow Force. He's Flash is
1: straight up just going through all of the superheroes in the Yellow Pages, who are in the Yellow Pages for some reason, and are in the New York Yellow Pages specifically. Um, the Avengers aren't around... Fantastic Four is not around. He finally ends up with X-Factor, who takes this call from this totally random Yahoo who insists that some guys got Spider-Man, and they're like, we'll take the case.
0: Yeah, okay, that sounds like X-Factor. But before we move on to them, I want to go back to the Daily Bugle, because I was thinking about this, because the member of the Daily Bugle staff that Flash Thompson talks to is Robbie Robertson. Robbie Robertson works for J. Jonah Jameson, Peter Parker also works for the newspaper. Are you noticing something in common between all these people? Um, they've probably all been laid off since. Well, probably that, yes. But also, they all have the same first and last initial. And so I'm thinking maybe this is, like, a requirement to keep a job at the Daily Bugle. Maybe this is why Eddie Brock, Venom's human host, was not able to make it work there and got all resentful. Because he's not, you know, Betty Brock or Eddie-yock. Well, yeah, and no, didn't Betty Brant work there for a long time, too? She did. And also, let's carry this a little further. J. Jonah Jameson, that is triple first-letter similarities. That's why he's in charge.
1: There's gotta be a flaw in this system, but I can't find it.
0: Oh, no. well, I mean, I guess technically Robbie Robertson's first name isn't Robbie, but let's not worry about that Well, part. that's
1: why he has to go by Robbie. Oh, you're right, otherwise he'd get fired.
0: Yeah. And become Venom or something. But... Robert starts with an R, 2 Is his name, like, Bobbert or something? I don't actually remember what his first name is. I just know it's not Robbie. But the point is, the government shows up at the Daily Bugle offices very shortly after this because they've heard that somebody got pictures of Shadow Force kidnapping someone.
1: When you say the government,
0: like, all of it? One branch? I don't know, a couple of shadowy agents who work for the government in some capacity. Oh, that's much less funny. Still, though, I really appreciate J. Jonah Jameson's response to them trying to confiscate the photos that the Daily Bugle just got.
1: Well, let me tell you something. You can take this back to Washington with you. There might not have been a story before you walked in here and started intimating threats, but they're sure as blazes is one now.
0: I mean, okay, J. Jonah Jameson is an unnecessary degree of jerk to Spider-Man, but I keep getting reminded every time he shows up in an ex-adjacent book, J. Jonah Jameson is kind of great. I like that he's basically the tick, but an editor. Kind of that, yeah. Like, he just
1: yells all the time and has no judgment.
0: Mm-hmm. I appreciate that about him. Great flat top too. No,
1: he, he, he does believe strongly in truth and justice and, um probably taking out the New York Daily News because I think the bugle's based on the post. But, yeah.
0: Well, there you go. Spider-Man, in the meantime, be he a threat or menace, wakes up in Shadow Force's lab, the place they brought him back to, and he quickly breaks out of his restraints, takes out the scientists who are near him, knocks them out, and goes to sneak around, trying to figure out just what the hell's going on with this place.
1: Now, I just note that you can tell this is a... Sub-Rosa operation, because they clearly don't have the budget for proper hand-and-foot turbines, which, as we know, is the only reliable way to restrain a superhero in the early
0: 1990s. Exactly, exactly. So, since he is turbine-free, Spider-Man goes around and overhears scientists talking about the work they're doing. And they're talking about cosmic rays, the nuke protocols, data on the abomination. Like, what the hell? They're talking about all these different superhero and supervillain power origins. Now, you would think that
1: this means that he's stumbled into perhaps part of the Weapon X program or Department H or something equally sketchy, something that's going to have much broader implications. And if this miniseries had taken place 10 years later, that would probably have been the case. However, this is just a weird little one off evil government project. It's got no connections it's never going to come
0: up again. No, this is Project Homegrown. And after Spider-Man takes out a nearby guard with my favorite battle cry of all time because the guard thinks his friend Phil is nearby and Spider-Man just whips him and says,
1: Sorry, pal, but I'm not Phil.
0: I haven't read much Spider-Man, so I'm just going to assume that this was Peter Parker's battle cry from 1993 forward and still is.
1: And for those of you who are primarily familiar with your spider types through the recent Into the Spider-Verse movie, uh, this is this is a Spider-Man who is edging pretty hard into Peter B. Parker territory. Like, you don't ever see him with sweatpants over the costume, but it's definitely a decision he could plausibly make.
0: Yeah, and I will give this book um, one thing, a number of things actually, but one of them is that I think Kurt Busiek does write a really fun, really on-character Spider-Man. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, after Spider-Man is pointedly not Phil, he goes ahead and loads up Microsoft Exposition 95 on a nearby computer terminal and learns a little bit more about Project Homegrown. Apparently, this is a government-slash-military operation that uses data from existing super-beings to try to give those powers to their own brainwashed soldiers, convicts that they take out of prison and uh, essentially erase so that the records show that they're still in prison, and, uh, you know, send them out as mercenaries. This is obviously very shady.
1: Yeah, that's uh, deeply, deeply unethical, man.
0: Right, and the head of this unethical, glorious organization is General Macaulay Sharp. Um, He's the one whose idea it was to use convicts, he's the one whose idea it was to give them those weird laser tag harnesses that are apparently the conduits for their artificial powers.
1: Now, who might be interested in shadowy, superhuman-related goings-on in the federal government? If only there were a super team that looked into things like that, a super team like... X-Factor!
0: X-Factor! the super team that Flash called as a last resort. So X-Factor figures, all right, we'll check it out. And I really like the scene where they do. We see them working together as actually a really competent, well-oiled machine. Wolfsbane is gathering scents. Lorna uses her dwarven metal cunning to learn about what happened at the scene of the attack. Like, they actually come off as genuinely professional, like people I would want to help out if I was in trouble.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of very detailed investigation as as X-Factor pieces together clues. Spider-Man does the same thing at various points during the series. It feels really paddingy, but you know,
0: it works. They're oh. they're doing the thing. They learn They learn the information. Oh, speaking of padding, I can't believe you gave me that segue. So I mentioned that Pat Broderick does a little bit more detail uh, on the art than you see many pencilers doing in this era, or I guess maybe it's the inks, uh, which I guess was, uh, who is that number one? Bruce Patterson. Um, but the way Pat Broderick draws Havoc's jacket, there's this sort of like quilted underlayer on the part of his collar that flips out, and it looks really comfortable. That's the only thing I remembered from this book from when I was a kid, was that Havoc's jacket looked super comfortable and I wanted to wear it.
1: That is an oddly specific detail to fixate on and also very much the kind that I would've. I'm just saying, like, kid brains are pretty weird. Kid brains are super weird. X-Factor makes its way to the government base where Spider-Man has been captured and has escaped and is currently fighting his way to freedom um, and are and team up with him to take take on Shadow Force.
0: Wait a minute. There's no misunderstanding-based superhero fight. is Is this really a superhero comic that we're reading? That's that's like required.
1: You, you've you've caught me, Miles. It's not actually a superhero comic. I actually just put a a couple issues of Classics Illustrated in the covers of these, and you've uh, you've you've just been reading um, Mansfield Park this entire time.
0: I didn't remember Spider-Man being in Mansfield Park. I like Mansfield Park better now.
1: Really? It's, I mean, Jane Austen's pretty
0: brilliant regardless. I mean, I liked it already. I'm just saying, Spider-Man would improve most fiction.
1: Miles, Miles. Spider-Man's Field Park.
0: <laughs> and there's the episode title. <laughs> that brings us to Spider-Man and X-Factor number two, Shadow Clash. Uh, which really
1: sounds like it should be a whole new character, but is not. It is, however, written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by Pat Broderick, inked by Bruce Patterson, and Sam De La Rosa and Keith Williams, and colored by Tom Smith.
0: And I really love the Shadow Force uh, technicians panicking as Spider-Man escapes with the data he's stolen. General Sharp, sir! Spider-Man's left the complex, and he's carrying classified data! Firmware encryption says it's a computer disk! Oh no, not a computer disk. And not, wait, firmware encryption? You know what, as a qualified information technology professional, I'm gonna go ahead and say that that computer talk was entirely legitimate, and I have no complaints with it whatsoever.
1: So, this issue also opens with the important point that, unlike Spider-Man, X-Factor actually gets paid for doing this shit.
0: Yeah, I, uh, maybe Spider-Man should join X-Factor. Oh man, I'm just imagining him on a team with Guido and Madrox. Nothing would get done.
1: Never. I mean, even less somehow. Anyway, X-Factor volunteers to keep the rest of Shadow Force busy while Spider goes after Mirror Face or Mirror Game or Shadow Mirror Game Face. Mirror Shade. He's going after Mirror Shade. And who who is going after Flash? I want to know how Mirror Shade Face knows who Flash is, let alone where to find him. Why he's not just wandering around every urban center going, Kill Flash Thompson?
0: Flash? Flash? Oh, I have an answer. Uh, So, you know how he has those antennae on either side of his head, and one points up and one points down? That was actually just how they were pointed in the fight. Basically, one always points to Spider-Man, and one always points to Flash Thompson.
1: That is an awfully specific power.
0: Well, that's why Mirror Shade never showed up in any other story.
1: Okay, then. Um, Now, X-Factor manages to delay the rest of Shadow Force, but they are not able to capture them. In fact, Shadow Force gets away.
0: Guido is annoyed by this. Well, that was humiliating. You couldn't have kept your balance and scooted after them, Wolfsbane? I was buried under Madrox's, you great lummox. What's your excuse? I'm a great lummox. Another point in Kurt Busick's favor. He writes really fun dialogue for X-Factor in this story.
1: He does. Um, now, the general who's been running this program is clearly corrupt and acting without oversight or ignoring it, and he orders X-Factor to butt out. But X-Factor uh, does what they do best and um, refuses. They, they head off after Shadow Force and after Spider-Man, um, and they're aided by Havoc's new superpower, which is to have a haircut that changes wildly and randomly throughout the issue.
0: I'm thinking it's a secondary mutation. I mean, I did note the last time we covered X-Factor that his hair is getting more and more spectacular. Maybe it's not just getting longer and wilder, but it's also gaining sentience.
1: That seems unlikely.
0: Nah, yeah, well, you never know. Anyway, despite a tragic lack of tall buildings to swing from, Spidey does get to a train and does head toward New York City. And there's a scene I really like here as he's on the train, he's thinking to himself... And he talks about how he he couldn't save his Uncle Ben, he couldn't save Gwen Stacy, so he's gotta save Flash Thompson. And on the one hand, this feels a little bit like the X-Men invoking the Dark Phoenix saga every time a writer wants to make a story seem like a big deal. But at the same time, this is kind of Peter Parker's greatest motivator. What happened to Uncle Ben and to a lesser extent what happened to Gwen Stacy, that makes him care so much about rescuing every single person he could potentially have the opportunity to rescue. And I like that. I like that it just gets to the core and reminds us that for Peter Parker, every life that's ever in danger is just as important as every other life.
1: Well, and like Uncle Ben and and Gwen Stacy, in this case, Flash is imperiled by his association with spider-man and with peter because if he hadn't been there and if spider-man hadn't been thinking about him and hadn't been annoyed by him then uh mirror face or mirror mirror shade mirror shade i keep on thinking mirror face mirror shade would not have 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 you know gotten his name wouldn't have zeroed
0: in on him you remember that uh mirror mask movie the one that neil gaiman wrote i do that was pretty good it was okay Anyway, Shadow Force is close behind, and they come onto the train, and to try to flush the currently incognito Peter Parker out, they open fire! Like, it's a train full of civilians, and they're just spraying bullets everywhere! They're very bad at their jobs. Well, I mean, they're very good at being shadowy bad guys, but wait, no, that's not shadowy, bullets are loud!
1: Yeah, they're they're not even trying to be subtle. Uh, Spidey manages to lead them away from the civilians and uncouples a bunch of cars so that they can go fight, which does not go particularly well because Shadow Force, for all their flaws, is great at teamwork.
0: They are. Despite X-Factor's arrival and attempts to assist Spider-Man against Shadow Force, Shadow Force does manage to get away they also managed to break free of the mind control inflicted upon them by the shadowy government organization Project Homegrown.
1: I'm not sure if that's better or worse. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it's better, because while these guys were incarcerated, um, having them go back to just being themselves rather than a team of highly trained commandos is probably for the
0: best. Seriously. And that takes us to the stunning conclusion of this trilogy, Spider-Man and X-Factor Shadow Games number three, Shadowfall.
1: This is, once again, written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by Pat, Pat Broderick, it's inked by Sam De La Rosa, and colored by Tom Smith. The heroes get to the city just in time to save
0: Flash Thompson from Mirror Shade.
1: And Mirror Shade tries to mimic each member of X-Factor, but basically short-circuits out because he can only imitate one person at a time, so fighting multiple, multiple enemies just... He, he, he just kind of
0: can't process it. This is really a missed opportunity, because while we do get a few close-up panels of Mirror Shade's face as he attempts to do this, it doesn't change very much from person to person, and I feel like this would have been a great opportunity to show this character morphing into, like, a cyborg-looking version of each member of X-Factor. It could have been a really fun showcase for Pat Broderick, but alas, we do not get that.
1: I... Kind of feel like there are a lot of missed opportunities like that in this series. A lot of moments that could have been spun into something cooler and just kind of don't quite go there.
0: Well, anyway, Airborne shows up, grabs Mirror Shade, and they escape. So, Forge calls,
1: and Forge calls with an update of something that the reader already knows, which is that Shadow Force has broken free of their programming, and something we didn't know, which is that they've gone back to take over homegrown headquarters. um, they've They've got a list of actually pretty reasonable demands.
0: They want their various sentences commuted to time served for a start. They also want no prosecution for their acts as the Shadow Force and free passage out of the country. They're claiming they were coerced. To which Havoc replies, They've got a point. Not that it'll matter. Cynical government guy Havoc is my favorite Havoc. Aw, uh, probably not his. <laughs> well, fair. So, meanwhile, General Sharp is all over the media saying that Shadow Force are these independent supervillain terrorists and everything is their fault and only their fault and don't look closely at him. He's just the person talking about how it's all Shadow Force's fault.
1: Oh, hell no. Yeah, this is- I really- like, I'm on Team Shadow Force here. I want them to get away.
0: Right? So, X-Factor and Spider-Man just walk past all the government folks into the base because this is the storyline where X-Factor doesn't obey their superiors even once?
1: I mean, as opposed to all of the other storylines where they maybe make a token attempt and then go against orders.
0: Yup. And Spider-Man points out as they head in, you know, Shadow Force is actually probably here because this lab is the source of their artificial powers, and they still want access to those artificial powers, at least until their demands are met.
1: I just thought of something that I feel the need to bring up right now with regards to X-Factor and and the government and their jobs. Can you imagine Guido Carosella in a government job in the age of Twitter?
0: Oh, man. He would be—he would go nuclear on Twitter. He would just be nonstop. It would be kind of great. Oh, he would give away so many government secrets, he'd get censured constantly. I love this plan. Well, anyway, Shadow Force does find the infiltrating heroes, and there's a big fight, and I really appreciate that most of the fight is just a two-page spread with a couple big illustrations, and the sound effects, SHRAM! FIZASH! WAB! CRAM! ZAT! COOM! 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 CRAM! CRAM! WAKASH! That's really all you need. Fill in your own action, readers. I hope that you're
1: picturing a large man trying to stuff an improbable number of popsicles into a chest freezer, because that's what I imagined.
0: Oh, I mean, obviously. Anyway, during this chest freezer scenario, Spider-Man sneaks away in the chaos to find the power core so he can maybe shut things down, and the power core has been rigged to explode if it's tampered with. And it does, at which point Ambush ambushes him. Yay, she earned her name. Good job, Ambush. We're very proud of you. And uh, she's got
1: a new power pack on on her her laser tag looking vest. They don't actually need the headquarters anymore. They've got you know portable power units. Um, so Spider Man with her now heads to the fight as Madrox accidentally
0: kills Mirror Shade. Yeah, yeah, Madrox taunts Mirror Shade into trying to mimic his power, but unfortunately, since all of Shadow Force now has these backpacks with their powers built in, once Mirror Shade splits in two, it breaks the backpack open, so his powers stop functioning as he's sort of bisected. It's actually pretty gruesome and marks the third time Madrox's powers have inadvertently killed a supervillain in recent memory, after Carnivore and John Lizard Mellencamp. I— Don't know that the first two of those were actually inadvertent. Uh, true. Well, I mean, Madrox felt bad about it, at least. That doesn't make it inadvertent,
1: though. That just means he felt bad about it afterwards.
0: The point is, there's a lot of gore surrounding Madrox's powers in this era, and that, on top of him having the Legacy Virus, must mean that he's having a pretty rough time.
1: Anyway... Spider-Man has Polaris magnetically pull off Shadow Force's laser tag power packs, and they win, except that they can't get off hard times. His is magnet-proof, um, because he's got his hard air or his force fields or something like that.
0: No, everybody knows that Jello Jigglers, among their other merits, do completely block electromagnetic fields. I don't think that's true. Well, clearly it is. Look at the scene. No. Well, the place explodes and everybody dies. That's half true. Okay, the place does explode, but Time uses his magical jello to save everybody because, as X-Factor points out to him, if they don't get out of here, they won't be able to expose General Sharp's duplicity and expose all of the horrible things General Sharp has done to relatively innocent people.
1: And... Initially, it looks like this plan is also going to be stymied, because Forge tells X-Factor that they've been ordered to keep silent because they're government employees. Luckily, however, Spider-Man is an independent spider. Like all spiders, he has the power of being a civilian and a citizen
0: and he uses his spider throw powers to throw his 1993 floppy disk over to a bunch of reporters, and I really appreciate the giant grin on Forge's face as he realizes, I did my job, and the bad guys still got screwed over. This is the best day.
1: Man, I love how hard everyone attached to X-Factor is just phoning it in all the time.
0: I know, they hate their bosses so much. So... Having talked about this series, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a great series by any means, but I will say it's a genuinely fun and genuinely weird series in ways that I really appreciate. You know what this
1: feels like, and you know what I would 100% have bought it as? What's that? A single episode of an animated series.
0: Yeah, you know, this would actually make a really good, like, animated 22 minutes. This would be a ton of fun. Right. It's not, it's not 60 pages
1: worth of story, but it's definitely 22 minutes worth. It's a pretty simple plot, and it's the kind that would fit well into that
0: structure. Okay, I, I really want to watch that. I don't even know what series it would be part of. It doesn't matter. Just, um, someone make it, please. Get a budget and make it. I
1: mean, there have been so many Spider-Man cartoons. I assume there's one it would fit into.
0: If it was Spider-Man and his amazing friends, it would have an amazing 70s Waka-Chicka-Waka-Chicka soundtrack.
1: And several X-Men, automatically. I'm not sure whether that would raise or lower the odds of X-Factor showing up.
0: Yeah, well, hard to say. What's easier to say is that we have great listeners with great questions.
1: Wow, I, I think they deserve better than that
0: transition, man. Hey, I'm just saying, we just got back from a convention. Segways aren't necessarily at the top of their game.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so, um, Disposable Savior asks on Tumblr... Since Carol Danvers was briefly with the X-Men, will y'all be doing a recap episode for the Captain Marvel movie?
0: Uh, We will not. So here's the thing. It would be awesome to cover that movie and lots of other things, but where do you draw the line? I mean, technically, Marvel and DC crossed over with each other. There's that whole amalgam thing. Does that mean we have to cover all of those Zack Snyder garbage movies? No, we can't do that. Therefore, we cannot start this slippery slope and we can't cover Captain Marvel.
1: Look, Disposable Savior, a lot of people have hung out with the X-Men over the years. They're not
0: going to get coverage here, either. That being said, uh, our very, very brief mini-review here at the end of the episode, that movie was so much fun, and if for some reason you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend that you do. That, yes. GPAC3 asks on Tumblr, What are Glob Herman's powers, exactly? Besides the whole being-made-of-translucent-paraffin thing.
1: Is is that a, not enough for you, GPAC3? I mean, dude is made of translucent paraffin. What are you made out of? Skin, blood, person parts? Anyway, um, so so glob is in fact made out of translucent paraffin, and his his abilities are all kind of related to that. It makes him extra strong and durable. I believe the paraffin also regenerates, and that he can he can light bits of it on fire and drip them off, and he still se- and still seem to be basically intact and okay. And he's he's super strong and extra durable.
0: Hmm, I can light myself on fire, and I'd be very flammable because I have a lot of hair. Maybe that's a secondary mutation?
1: No, 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 that that doesn't
0: work like that. It probably wouldn't go nearly as well as it does for Glob.
1: Um, Also, he has pet chickens in Age of X-Men. That's not really a superpower, it's just really charming.
0: I gotta say, Glob Herman has gone from a character who I despised because he was one of the terrible Omega Gang in Grant Morrison's run to one of the most charming X-Men characters. I've actually really been enjoying his role in Old Man Logan and Dead Man Logan. It's probably my favorite Glob Herman story.
1: Aw, he's a lovable mystery.
0: He is, and also kind of gross looking, which, you know, I appreciate.
1: He's a lovable gross mystery. So we're an entirely listener-supported podcast, and some of those tiers of support come with acknowledgement on the show from a range of fictional characters and entities. Today, the mic goes to the, the uh, flash-in-the-pan, super-villainous member of, of Shadow Force,
0: Hard Time. All right, soldiers. General Sharp went to a great deal of effort to break you both out of prison and brainwash you. So he expects his newest members of Shadow Force in the field ASAP. Start putting on those LEGO helmets and laser tag harnesses, and we'll assign you some code names. No time for anything fancy. Airborne and oversized know what I'm talking about. Brian Keown, let's see, your power pack grants you superheated touch, so you'll be... Firefist. Wait, that's... that's already taken? Seriously? Fine, you're Flame Hand. Deal with it. Brian Wetton, Sharp's machines gave you super speed, so you'll be Fleet Feet. What, you think that sounds dumb? Well, in that case, you're Quickie. No take-backsies. How do you like that? Now, both of you, get on my flying jello jiggler. We've got a superhero to kidnap. And with that... Jay and Miles, Explain the X-Men is recorded in Forest Hills, New York and Portland, Oregon, and produced by Matt Hunter. New episodes come out Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and at explainthexmen.com. Check out
1: explainthexmen.com for all kinds of extra content, including visual companions to every episode.
0: Our show is 100% listener-supported. If you'd like to help us stay on the air and ad-free, check out the Patreon link at the top of ExplainTheXMen.com.
1: Next week, we'll be celebrating our fifth birthday. With
0: a look back at some of our favorite stories past. And where we're headed next. Metaphorically. We're not not actually going anywhere. Except the future.
1: Onward!